something inside that you wanna say If it's about movies, that'd be okay I love movies, yeah, I love movies, yeah I love movies, yeah, I love movies, yeah So many movies coming out today If you want the scoop, hear what DC say We love movies, yeah, we love movies, yeah We love movies, yeah, we love movies, yeah Hello, welcome. I have not done a movie podcast in quite a while and have no real plans to bring it back long term, but I did have this opportunity to present itself where I uh, saw Joker, really enjoyed Joker, knew that Dan McDowell had saw, uh, had seen Joker as well and thought it would be cool to talk about it with him. I think that you will find in listening to this that it was indeed pretty cool. I had a great time recording it and I hope you have a great time listening to it. Enjoy. So, Dan, I'll just start out by saying that I like this movie a ton. I uh, I liked it on the level of I thought it was a good movie, like it was entertaining to watch. I liked it on the level of I felt like it gave me a lot of uh, stuff to think about. And I think I was pretty predisposed to uh, to not like the backlash. And so, you know, I mean, that, 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 that probably uh, adds some. Like, I definitely went into... If, if I had walked out uh, thinking like, you know, damn it, um, going to have to admit that all those uh, people who had their panties in a wad were right, that would have been uh, disappointing. So I also liked it on that level if it did not uh, force me to change any of my previously held opinions. But uh, what, So your what mindset you think going in, was it, because I think my mindset, I don't know if it affected me, but I did think it was going to be very violent and i would be very sad throughout my sitting there like that's the the vibe i got from corby is like it's just depressing and it's and i gotta tell you i was not depressed during this movie yeah there were certainly were you know felt sorry for this dude at times and if this is what some people really go through certainly it ran through my mind but I wasn't just brooding like, oh man, I'm just like upset that I'm here. I I thought it was a wild thrill ride. I had I, I walked out of the movie thinking this might be one of the top five movies I've ever seen. Oh yeah, like I was floored how great I felt. Like, and then it it did make me think, you know, stop and think. Well, gosh, damn, what was then? Then you know, you go through the inventory of. What was real? Was any of it real? Were they sitting in, you know, I, I think the fact that they kind of left that open too, yeah. to where in the end, maybe Batman is all in this guy's head, like everything. Like there is nothing that's not inside this guy's head, that, that he's been sitting in a white room the whole time concocting all of this. I don't think that's how I interpret it, but I think that's in play, right? Yeah, yeah. And, just and, given the scene at the end? Uh, yeah, because that kind of matches him sitting with the social worker across from him, him sitting across from the social worker in the beginning. Yeah. The I, flashback I, in the beginning while he's sitting to a previous time that he was in a white room banging his head against a window. 
Yeah. So was that so you know he's been in there before at the very least? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, another interpretation is just like that they they caught him and put him in there. You know, like like after he uh, shot. Arthur Murray? Is that what De Niro's character's name was? Whatever. I don't think it's Arthur Murray. That's oh, no, a dan- Arthur's that's a dance his name. Person. Uh, Arthur, yeah, Arthur Fleck is a uh, joke's name. Uh, Murray something. Whatever. Yes, it doesn't matter. It was Murray. Um, Murray Franklin? That's it. That's yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, so it, it could just be that uh, after everyone riots, uh, that the riot dies down and they catch him, and that's certainly where you would put him once he's caught. Or, yeah, you're right. It totally could be that the entire time it's just uh, him sitting in there having these fantasies. And I, I think that that was, that was, that was a cool, like, uh, this movie is working on three different levels kind of thing. That uh, That's, like, kind of what going insane is, is, like, having, not being able to trust your eyes. Like, not being able to understand, like, the, the things that are happening to you are not happening in real life. And so the movie kind of made you feel that, like like the viewer is getting the sensation of going insane because, you know, you, like I, I the whole time, every time he was with her, uh, with uh, um, Zazie Beats, the chick from Atlanta, the uh-huh. his girlfriend. Uh, do you watch Atlanta? I only watched the first season. Okay, it's a great show. I really like it. Yeah. I I would say that she's. I think she's the best thing in that show. I think she's great. I believe my house was hit by lightning. Sometime between the first and second season, and then it okay. didn't record again because I had to get new DVRs. Yeah, something like that. Well, it's on Hulu. You should. Uh, I might. Yeah, you should go. Um, and yeah, so uh, you know, when every every scene with uh, him and her, it's like that's really weird. Like she's she's go like she thinks it's hilarious these jokes he's telling in his stand up. Like these don't seem good at all. And like, what well, person? They, they only showed the first joke, and then they kind of. Sh- you know, then you wondered, oh, did he get better? Yeah. You know, no, that that's why I tend to not believe it was all in his head, because I don't know that he would have, I don't think it's all in his head, because sometimes you get an outside point of view. Sometimes you're looking kind of at his point of view. Yeah. But sometimes, and I don't know if there's a tell on that. Like, I think the final scene of The Sopranos has big tells on when it's Tony's point of view, when it's the camera's point of view, when it's your point of view, all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I don't know if there's a tell on when it's just his point of view or not, because would he be in his head imagining himself watching Murray Franklin, but then having a fantasy that he was in the audience? You yeah. know, because we saw that in the beginning when he's yeah. watching it in his mom's house or his house. All of a sudden, he was in the audience laughing, and Murray pulled him out of the audience and said, you're great. You're, I'd be yeah. proud to have a son like you. And that's, and that's the that's, first time that something happens where we understand like, okay, this didn't actually, like they're showing us things. Not everything that's shot on camera is something that literally occurred. But that was quite an obvious scene. Yeah. I think because he was standing in front of the TV watching that. Yeah. And like we all do maybe daydreaming that what if I was there and this is, this is what would happen if I was there. If I'd ever been in the Letterman audience, he would have loved me, man. Yeah, I was in the Letterman audience, and that didn't happen to me. Oh, I'm um, sorry. But, you know, it's all political as far as why Yeah, uh, I haven't ascended to those heights. Um, But obviously, okay, so were you sucked in by the girlfriend thing? Like, did I think it was real? Yeah. Yeah. I totally thought it was real. Yeah. 
But and I was, but at every point I was confused. So, like I was kind of mad. Like this doesn't make any sense. In what world would right? Because I'm thinking, okay, Corby said it was just depressing about a guy with mental illness. Well, not most people with mental. Because I always think it's very Hollywood. The uh, the lonely guy who makes his way, who tries his hardest to ignore people, almost mm-hmm. lives a silent life where nobody ever talks to him. But then he finds love because he ran into a girl at the park or uh, the grocery store that just wouldn't stop talking to him or something. I'm like, that is unrealistic. Yeah, People, if you want to stay no one talking to you, you can live in this world with nobody paying attention to you. I have found it to be pretty easy, yes. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't think you're going to fall into love because you're trying to avoid it. Yeah. You know? Whereas it, it often happens in movies. And so it was happening again to me, and I was thinking, oh. I mean, there's a lot of mentally ill people out there that don't ever get a woman their whole life or they're, you know, th- this guy's tagging this girl and, uh, you know, she's going off with him. She's so concerned about him. She's with the uh, him in the hospital room. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that reveal was like in the middle of the movie, now your mind is fucked. Yeah. Because you're like, holy shit. That, that's like a uh, sixth sense end of the movie moment when you're like, oh my gosh, the whole movie has been weird. Well, now you're like, oh my gosh, that's been wrong. Well, what else has been wrong or is not real? And now you're scrambling to think. And then from that moment forward, is this whole Murray thing real when he's on state on his stage and, and shot him? Because there's a lot of illogical things there. Like, first of all, even booking him on the show yeah. seemed illogical. Yeah. Well, but, unlikely. I mean, I you know. But the, possible. It's not the, that different from you booking said, the double rainbow guy. Right. Uh, Kimmel or whatever booking viral video guy or. Yeah. Okay. But, all right. Let's, let's step to. It could happen. It could possibly happen. But. To go on and then to allow him to disappear in the full makeup, to not do any vetting as far as what our talk is going to be about and all that kind of stuff. I know they, to then, once he said he killed the guys and and all that, to stay on the air as long as they did, you know, until Murray got shot. And to, because you would think, I'd bail for commercial right away. Really? Well, you would think that's what they would do. This is network, this ain't a, Little ra- local radio show. See, I'd I'd feel like that about how I felt about uh, Sean and Ty hanging up on Groobs whenever he's going on about you, Darvish. Uh, like you, you got something great like here. Murray knew, and Murray who's, is who's tuning away from that. Murray was Carson, and he had full control. Yeah, so there's quite possible he would ignore a producer. Did you like uh, Mark Marin? Uh, didn't know till later it was Mark Marin. Oh yeah. Till I saw him in the credits and then thought, who's Mark Marin? And then I looked it up and found he's the uh, the booker, right? Or yeah, the, it's just, it, the, the producer, producer, the artist. Yeah. yeah, he's just two seconds. But yeah, I was like, uh, there was a couple different things like that where it was like they, they got someone famous to fill a very minor role. And I'm like, that's fun. Yeah. Can you bring me another one? Um, I mean, the chick from Atlanta is a decent example, but I know there's one more and I'm not going to remember it. And uh, I'm going to okay. look like a dummy, Dan. Um. I'll I look thought, it up while you're talking. I thought using De Niro was pretty meta on a couple of levels, especially because the real good reference for, you know, 
Joker was, you know, he was very taxi driver-ish. Yeah. In his, you know, sitting alone in his apartment and fantasizing about killing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, of course, the fact that De Niro was king of comedy. Have you seen King of Comedy? No, I really want to. You uh, really need to. I, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the deal, and uh, you know, I've, I've saw a lot of people talking I, about it in reference to this movie. A movie that was out in the 70s or 80s to say you have to go see it because it's you know it might end up looking dated. I don't know. You know, some might watch Pulp Fiction now and say, okay, well, I've seen a lot of those things before. So you do have to have the come at it with the uh, context of that was the first one that did any of that shit. So it blew everyone's mind. And if you watch it 30 years later, then you're like, huh, okay, yeah, well, you know, that's that's great that it started all that, but I can see how it wouldn't change your life like it did when you first saw it or something. So, But King of Comedy, De Niro is basically a stalker who is trying to get on a talk show, and he's a guy with a mental illness who lives with his mom, uh, but he is trying to get to the talk show and... Uh, just the tie-in there, if you've seen both those movies, then to see De Niro cast in this role, it makes you think there's a big triangle that you're thinking of here. So I thought that was really cool. But I don't even think you needed that. And, like, I don't... I've never seen... You may have heard us talk about this. I didn't... I've never seen The Dark Knight or these other movies. I don't... I've never seen any other depiction of Joker. Oh, really? I can't tell you whether Heath Ledger's ledger's version was you know everybody says that's awesome and this one you know is you know they compare this one to that one when talking about this movie i've never seen the other one i mean very different things that each movie is going for like i i don't think this is attempting in any way to like be a big blockbuster action movie uh whereas you know the dark knight is but i i, I would i would recommend watch the dark knight i feel like that's the best comic book movie yeah that i've often heard that and it's like on my list. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. Um, I just can't tell you how I okay, so then after the uh after the reveal of the girlfriend, it changes your mind. And now I'm like, so that's one of the things I questioned was could he, you know, get, would he really have been on that show? Uh, maybe. I was a little uh perturbed that just it's just a tiny bit, a slight bit that uh they were kind of overdoing it with the reveal of the girl. Like, whatever, she just turns the corner and is like, what are you doing here? Don't you live down the hall? Is your name Arthur? Like, from that, it's obvious what's going on. Like, that he imagined the whole thing, and now we're in real real reality, and she only hung out, like, you know, saw him in the elevator, like, saw, was like, that's a weird thing he did, and then never thought about it again. Uh, but then they, you know, go through like the sequence of every time she was there, but not actually there. And I'm like, all right, you know, we get it. You don't. Yeah. I don't feel like we needed it. Yeah. I didn't mind. I didn't mind. It just reminded me. Oh yeah. She wasn't with him next. Oh, she wasn't in the uh, hospital room. Like, uh, the other De Niro tie in, in taxi driver. If you remember after, uh, he saved Jodie Foster or whatever, he held his, uh, his finger gun to his temple and blew it, blasted it. I have not seen Taxi Driver. Oh, I thought by you saying I haven't seen the other one that you had seen Taxi Driver. Okay, so same thing in Taxi Driver. It's a big scene where it's at the very end. He puts his gun to his temple and and blasts. 
And so the, obviously that was a big thing in in Joker. Um, uh, my my favorite tie-in. I don't know if it's a tie-in, but I just thought it was fucking perfect. Uh, was using rock and roll part two. Well, wh- why was that a tie-in? But it, I also think it was perfect. Like it was so badass. Like like I said, I thought this was an upbeat. Yeah. Were you sad throughout the movie? No, I, I would say I was depressed? interested. I mean, it's it's depicting a depressing topic matter, no doubt. Uh, but I, I would say just that it's uh, the pace is so good, and like there's so many interesting things happening that I was just I was excited. I was caught up in what's going on. And I want to get to the bottom of the various threads that are going on because that that's that's the thing that I would say just as far about like enjoying it like on an entertainment level. It's a movie where he's in every single scene. He's the main person talking in every, every single scene. Like, it is more so than most movies, like, very centered on one character. But uh, it, it still retains the structure that I like so much from other things where they'll kind of weave in a couple different storylines. Like, uh, you know, something like, like The Dark Knight or like a Star Wars movie, you know, where they'll have three groups of characters that are all on their separate missions and it'll cut between them. And so, you know, anytime you start getting bored of one storyline, it jumps to another and you're like, Oh yeah, what was happening with that? And, uh, you know, you get excited all over again. They did that with just him. Like that. It's kind of like the track of, uh, you know, was his mother telling the truth? Um, you know, the track of, is he going to get caught for murdering those three guys? The track of what's going on with the girlfriend, the track of what's going on with Murray Franklin. Like they're, they kind of like pick up and drop each of those storylines at different points. And, uh, that, that makes the entire thing exciting despite the fact that they're not changing who's on screen ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You weren't jumping from this guy's story to this guy's story. It was the same guy. But you would still would have that feeling of like, oh, yeah, yeah, what is what is going on there? Like, uh, my theory on his mother, I, I came away thinking that his mother actually had been impregnated by this guy, but he's a rich guy who can do anything, and he got her committed and uh, and got the paperwork changed to make it look like she adopted a kid. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I was I was gonna ask you what you thought because I think that you know it's open to a little bit of interpretation, but I, I felt like they were answering the question. Whatever he's looking at the picture and uh, Arthur turns it over and it's signed Thomas W or whatever, and it's like a love note to the mother. And uh, yeah, that's that's the overarching. Like if you ask me to just like sum up in one point, my favorite part, like why I like the movie so much. The fact that they made a fucking movie <laughs> where Thomas Wayne's death is his own goddamn fault. Like, one of the most important, like, uh, just the story of Thomas Wayne dying has been tell- told in, like, half the fucking comic book movies that ever be- ever been made. It's the event, you know, like Batman watching his parents get killed. to tell a version of it where he did it because he's a fucking greedy capitalist who would just ruin anyone else in his life who got in the way of him having whatever he wanted and like absolutely had it coming like i was fucking fired up whenever he's getting shot you know like yeah kill the goddamn bastard um that is masterful i i would have thought that uh in a hundred years they would never make a comic book movie where that was the telling is he is the general story that he was killed by the Joker? Uh, no, I mean, I think most of the time it's just like 
a mugger, you know? And I, I think that there's been various times like, like, actually, this was the person or whatever. But uh, so he the was, Batman Begins one, it's just a mugger. He was thinking about that or about Bruce Wayne kneeling near his dead parents when she asked, what's so funny, right? And he said, you wouldn't get it. Uh, what are you talking about? Joker was, uh, what's his name in real life? Uh, or Arthur was, was thinking about Joaquin when, Phoenix at the very end when he's laughing and she says, what's so funny? He's like, you wouldn't get it. Wasn't that what was going through his mind right then? Little Bruce Wayne sitting next to his dead parents. Oh yeah. Yeah. I that don't, it, lends wasn't, it wasn't to, Joker that shot him though, right? No, it was a, yeah. another guy with a mask. Yeah. That lends to the thought that he never got in a crash and was uh, standing, you know, on top of a car with his admirers screaming because that lends to him. He was just in there the whole time imagining all of that because how does he see Bruce Wayne sitting next to that? He wasn't there. He didn't do the killing. How does he even know it happened? Yeah. If, if like the whole movie, everything in the movie, even the scenes that don't have him is just his imagining, then he would have seen all of it because it's all just his daydreams. Yeah. So how did he even know that Thomas Wayne was killed and for him to be sitting chuckling about it? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, could have heard about it or, you know, maybe that's not what he was talking, thinking about. Although why would they show it? But I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think you're that, it's an interesting question to me. Like, I kind of thought that, I mean, obviously Thomas Wayne got killed. Mm -hmm. Batman, I mean, they, they weave that in there. Yeah. So that, to me, would lend to the theory that even the whole Batman story is in his mind because he wasn't there to see him get killed, yet somehow he's laughing about him getting killed, uh, and he knows it. Like... I also think possibly it's that he did kill Murray on the set. You then saw the cops take him away, but then he just was taken away. There was no, you know, he was dreaming that an ambulance would have crashed into their car and somebody carried him out. And Yeah, and I guess all the times that good things happened to him, and that would be the best thing that happened to him in the movie, every other time a good thing happened to him, it was him imagining it. Like, you know, Murray saying that I wish I had a son like you, the girl, you know, being in love with him. Like you take that's the, interesting. You take those out, nothing good happens to him in the entire movie, <laughs> you know? Right. Um then there's even the thought that the uh, picture he found, you know, if the mom was was mentally ill, was she writing love notes to herself from Thomas Wayne? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I like the storyline of Thomas Wayne being like that. That fits with uh, yeah. the justice I would like to see. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably predisposed to uh, think that, that like, like that is uh, what I think people like him do in situations like that. Yes. Um, is, you know, try to pull every lever of power to uh, get the outcome they want, even if it's like a trivial matter. Like uh, Jeff Bezos trying to buy the National Enquirer in, so that they wouldn't pick, publish a picture of his dick. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's not like trying to ruin anyone, but it's I'll move heaven and earth because it's just not that hard for me to do because I'm fucking rich. You know? Um, so, yeah, I, I, the, the storyline of... Uh, 
Thomas Wayne having a woman committed and wrecking her life so that whenever she gets out, she doesn't have any prospects and ends up with a fucking loser guy that abuses her son. Like, you know, that's, that's fits with something that I could imagine happening. So I assume it happened, right? Yeah. And if we're talking about, if your theory there, I don't know if it's your theory, but you just said if, if, if every time something good happens to him, it's in his mind. How about when he runs away from the cops and the, uh, you know, gaggle of clowns ends up beating them, you know, could I guess that be fake too? That has to be real because they mention it, like uh, people outside of him, you know, like uh, whenever he's at the Murray Franklin thing, they're like, man, do you hear about the fucking cops getting killed? Okay. Yeah. Or they show some like uh, TV report of it on a TV in the background or something like that. Although that... That would be something good happening to him is him killing the guy. He's does he kill his mom too because he thinks he was adopted and that his mom was lying to him, and then he goes and later finds what he feels is the truth. That's possible. Because um, didn't he he went and got the documents, like he stole them from the hospital. Yeah. Then he went and killed his mom. But, I mean, the other thing is that in those documents, he's reading about things he probably suppressed of how he was tortured as a child. Right. So even if he wasn't adopted, you could still be fairly upset that you let someone treat you that way. Like, clearly the people he was killing were people he felt he was getting some sort of revenge on. The talk show, De Niro, for making fun of him. Yeah. His mom for allowing these things to happen to him. Yeah, those cops And maybe lying to him, him or whatever. The cops, uh, the guy at work who gave him the gun and then told told the guy he didn't know how he got a gun and oh yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was uh, like when he kicked kissed the little midget's head when he. <laughs> oh my god, that that whole scene like it's just it's uh, the so they're, they're playing with your emotions so much and like the fucking thing of like he's too tall or he's too short to get the lock like that is. That's something yeah, else. Yeah, I thought he was dead for sure. You just you just don't, like, uh, that. that's why I would uh, side with your point of this is one of the top five movies you've ever seen. Like, just shit like that. That entire scene. You don't see a lot of scenes that good. Like, I was on, I was on a high when they were, uh, when they pulled him out of the car and everybody's cheering for him. I'm like, this is great. This is, you know, I, I, even, if, even if it's fake or, or whatever. I, I don't know. I thought it like I thought it was a thrill ride. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Um, gosh, what else was I just thinking about? That there's just why I think this movie's great is I've been thinking about it for two weeks ever since I've seen it. Yes. Like a lot, and I, I don't know exactly what I believe. I know when I walk out of there, I kind of believe that. Oh, I think that crowd scene was fake, but uh, I think everything else was. I, I thought at the end. The implication was that he killed his therapist there yeah. because he's walking and he's leaving bloody footprints behind. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was in his mind. I that, agree. That the, the bloody footprints didn't really happen. There's, yeah. That, that did not happen. He did not just murder someone in there. That um, seemed fanciful. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's true that, I mean, did any of the deaths happen? Because those are the times he's winning. And does he not win? And as far as like uh I I the scene where like he's finally kind of standing up to the cops and then just walks into the door 
Like, I think that's indicative of how they treat him whenever it's something that's really going on. You know, like the second he starts to like act like a competent human being, like a confident guy, like he just goes into the fucking class. Right. And they tell him it's an exit. Uh, to finish the glitter point, uh, I, I I just think it's like the De Niro stuff of like, uh, you know, the little um, thing with the finger gun and everything like that in that it's taking something outside the movie that you know that the makers of the movie know that we all know, you know, um, where like they're aware that like they're trying to show this uh, really fucked up guy at his most fucked up. And that you know, song has been scrubbed kind of from Yeah, I mean, as far as widespread use because of political correctness. Things being done by people who've made songs, like the man's gone to jail for fucking kids three times. Like yeah. and has fled to But Cambodia crazy locales to try and get away from Cambodia put in in Cambodia. They were like, This is over the line. You gotta go to jail, dude. Yeah. And then, like, that was, uh, like, did it, I, I think he got jailed for it in uh, the UK. And once he got out of jail, he fled to Cambodia uh, because he just had to get back to it so bad. Then Cambodia was like, he can't do this, and uh, put him in jail. Serves the sentence there, and then gets out and is like, just got to fucking do it. Like, if you give this, give this guy two seconds of freedom, he's going and fucking molesting kids. And it used to be, like, the stadium song. Yeah. That you'd hear everywhere. It was so cliche. And I think it's been scrubbed because of him, right? Yeah. And so just to show this, uh, you know, Arthur, who's like such a fucking corrupted human being, uh, like trying to, you know, show him like as he's uh, going up to the ascendancy of his powers to play that with something that's like, you know, a... uh, Nothing like wraps up like it's a song with no words pretty much. So, you know, like it's just all going off like the subtext of like it under like the makers of the movie understand that you're aware that this symbolize like that it symbolizes it to you because of the things being like, you know, it's like if uh, like if, if he had uh, done like a great interview with like a lot of great jokes uh, in the, the Arthur Mur- or the Murray Franklin thing. Um, but then like at the end had done this fucked up thing, uh, like people who just like appreciated the jokes in the first part, like that they, th- those jokes would always have that background of, you know, like the person telling them would seconds later do something really fucked up. And like that, that kind of like, uh, adds a twist to the whole thing. Um, that's, that's actually what rock and roll part two is. And so, you know, the, I, I just thought, like, as, as far as, like, using every resource they have, you know, like, using the audience's shared understanding of the news yeah. to uh, to hammer home what they're trying to say about this guy, like, that's it's pretty masterful filmmaking, that, in my again, opinion. again, makes it another level. So, so the incredible depth there, if you are to believe that's part of the reason, or at least part of your enjoyment of it, even without that, if you had no knowledge of Gary Glitter... You would think this is just a badass song and it fits perfect. Yeah. Like it was just the beat. Everything's great. And I guess the same thing is true with the uh, the Murray Franklin, my tie-in with uh, two Scorsese movies that you've never seen, but you still thought it was pretty awesome. So, But if I can add the level that I just added that he's doing the gun to the temple and he was uh, the stalker of the talk show host and now he's the talk show host and... It's like uh, I always thought Election was kind of genius for having 
the teacher be Ferris Bueller, you know, who was, you ever see Election? Uh, I hate to go for three on the entire podcast. Damn it, no, dude. I've seen Election. <laughs> I thought you'd do a movie podcast. I watch a ton of movies. It's just, there's a lot been made, man. I also feel Election is a very, very high level movie that. I actually think is probably better than King of Comedy in the end. Although I, uh, I've, I've been more and more doing something that I can see that you also do. Of I, I feel like I hit a certain age where I watch new movies kind of infrequently. Like I'm much more likely to be like, we'll just watch a movie I know I like. You yeah. know, I, I think that that's part of getting into your 30s and older. Is you've seen enough yeah. movies, your yeah, brain kind of changes. Yeah, because I, I, I used to see a new movie almost every week. So yeah. um, I certainly don't do that anymore, and that probably ended a while back. But I still do want to see new movies. But Yeah, uh, no, I do. But I'd say it used so to be So if I the, want you to see Election, i got to have a movie of the month. Because we'll do it. Maybe I'll do it. When's the next one? 2020? Is it next year, the election? Uh, Yeah. One year from this November? The presidential where, election? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. We probably have to. Maybe we'll do Election on uh, the lead-up. Well, I will go to that. Um, yeah, so that Gary Glitter thing is another... Uh, yeah, let's keep talking about it, but I mean, there, there's just so many reasons that I think this movie is awesome. And then Joaquin Phoenix, I just thought was... You know, I hate to use be all uh, film critic-y or something and is incredible or moving, and, but it was. I mean, he's he's amazing. And I I don't have any idea what the contenders are, but I would be willing to put some money on him winning Best Actor, like right now. Yeah, I uh, I did I did in the first twenty minutes of the movie uh, was kind of questioning how much I was actually going to enjoy this. Like from that first scene, whenever he's getting beat up by the kids and he's laying there, and they have the uh, water leak out of his flower. I was like, that's that's really hacky. So cliche. And just just something I could imagine the director of The Hangover doing if he was trying to make a serious movie. Like that entire premise kind of made me nervous, you know? Um, I, I, I could see that the director of The Hangover might actually be uh, really shitty at making serious movies. Uh, and then it cuts from there to the scene where he just starts off laughing at his social worker and you don't yet have the context of that they're playing this as like it's a mental defect and so that seemed like too stylized and kind of dumb and then a scene it goes from there to the scene of him in the uh the bus where he's laughing at the kid or he's making faces at the kid and then laughing whenever she says hey quit talking about fucking kid um and all, all three of those, I, I just didn't think they were... They were certainly not the best scenes of the movie. And at that point, I was kind of like, did we just have this giant furor online over a movie that actually sort of sucks that no one's going to ever care about? But uh, it picks up from there, you know? It really does. Yeah, it's there's some setup that you're wondering about. Yeah. But I think that's... Uh, part of the beauty is, too, I think it just keeps peeling stuff away, you know? Yeah. It is not... It is not laying things out for you. It's... Uh, it's letting you figure things out as it goes. And then by the end, you're like, what did I just figure out? What did I, like I said, I wasn't sad. I felt great. Like I'm cheering for the guy. And, you know, uh, it's like that old, the, the cheering for the villain, cheering for Vic Mackey or cheering for uh, uh, Tony Soprano or something. It's that he's, 
you've seen him, you've just seen him commit some of the most brutal murders you could imagine. And especially the one with the scissors. And just his yeah. attitude when he was like, oh, really? Yeah, okay. Did this, that was incredible. Did he kill the girl? I don't think so. Okay. That's left unknown. Yeah. Because he left that apartment. I think he just got up and went out. Um, I read one thing where somebody was saying that they thought everything from the moment he got in the fridge forward was fake. Like he he put his body in the refrigerator. Because uh, I'd always heard uh, in, a, in It, in the book It, there's a thing about... Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Now I remember it. Uh, and so maybe I'm wrong. That... One of the little kids would, uh, like the one that was really fucked up that the uh, the clown like ended up using for its own purposes to like uh, go after and try to attack the uh, the good kids is uh, his his hobby was that he would like take cats and put them in an abandoned fridge that someone had like thrown in the junkyard and then just like let them fucking die. And I think that in the course of talking about that, that they that like they mentioned some detail of old timey fridges. Like if you get stuck inside, like there's no way out. There's no interior handle. Like you just fucking die unless someone comes and lets you out. You know. And so that that's what was going off in my head whenever he climbed in that fridge. Is like, how's he going to get out of the fridge? Yeah. But I I don't know if that is uh, true or if you just kind of like push on the door and when it I was swings a kid, open. That was a thing. Okay. Or I don't know if it was a wives' tale. Like we were also told you couldn't if you got an apple in your bag, which no one ever did from Halloween. Yeah. It could have a razor blade in it. Yeah. Well, no one's ever given an apple. Number one and number two, no one's ever found an, a razor blade in an apple. That's yeah. totally fake. Everything about it. But it also used to hear. You never knew anyone. You never knew anyone who knew anyone, but you'd always hear this story about people would leave their fridge out on the curb for garbage, but a kid would get in it and get stuck and suffocate. Yeah. So then you were, you'd were you hear that you're supposed to take your door off the fridge if you're going to throw it away or something. And I don't know if that ever really happened and if that's true. Is there no way, uh, like, because I think the old-timey fridge would have, like, a latch yeah. That would kind of, you pulled it up to unlock it and open it, and then it would latch in. So that would make sense. You know, I think my great-grandma or something had one of those, if I recall, which she'd call her frigid air. We didn't, she didn't call it a refrigerator. It was just called the frigid air. Go get something out of the frigid air. Huh. Uh, she sounds real old. She was pretty old. She also would not eat with the family ever. Why? Uh, and I only visit her on uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, perhaps. But she was very old, and her, the way she was is the, the wife, she cooks the dinner. She eats later. She serves everybody. She keeps serving. Then after dinner, when every, everything's cleaned up, she would sit and have a little meal by herself. It's really weird. Yeah. That, uh, I, but, I feel like we've uh, made improvements to social life since then. But that was her place, you know, and that's, she was very proud to do that, I guess, too. She would probably look down upon, she would definitely look down upon uh, my wife, who cooks once every month, perhaps. Yeah, that was, a, that was a trippy thing about my grandmother is like, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think that, I mean, I, I want to be clear that like, I, I feel like there was a, a lot of love on both sides, but like her relationship with my grandfather was very much like waiting to be told what to do. 
by him. And like a lot of, you know, most of the time I knew her, my grandfather was already dead. And uh, it was just very clear that like she was very much missing like clear direction of like, this is what we're going to do. And this is what I need you to do to get there. Like, you know, she, I don't know, like uh, really valued that kind of guidance in her life in a way that I would not like, you know, if, if I, if I'd never like watched that work, then I would assume that like, you know, everyone is uh, thinks that feminism is a great idea and that women are like uh, really looking to get these chains off and it's just these asshole men keeping them down. And I, I think that there's plenty of that. Um, but I, I, I it did not appear to me like she was hoping for a different arrangement than the one she had where he, you know, told her what to do on everything. You know, yeah, maybe if you grew up with it and it's your whole life, then. And I think it's probably Stockholm just a, 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 you know, it, it might be that. It also might just be that uh, there were people that were like her classmates that absolutely did like yearn for full freedom and like no one tells me what to do. And it's just, it's just a personality thing, you know, of like some, I, I would like, I would think that like nowadays there's probably like, it is like a, in gemstones, the uh, Danny McBride's wife in gemstones, like uh, a less caricatured version of that. I, I would assume there are people like that, you know? Oh yeah, there's the and yeah. overly religious so for sure. Because just the, a personality uh, type of like you know the, you, you do like other people telling you what to do. It probably was around when I was getting married, maybe a little before, but that they stopped using uh, the word obey in the vows for the uh, the wife. Yeah, do you know that that used to be to love and obey. <laughs> do you know the word obey was in the wife's vows often? That's uh, I'm that's certain I heard else. that in like in a TV marriage or something when yeah. I was. When I was a kid watching something in the in the eighties, but I think that would really stick out to the ear nowadays, right? And certainly would have been a vow broken very early on. So I want to talk about the politics shit in this movie. Uh, I was really wondering throughout what exactly the uh, views of the filmmaker were. On... You want me to let your dog out while you're doing this? Uh, no, Megan up? will. Okay. Hi, Megan. We, we know the whole deal. Um, we, got, we got this set. She's done this before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's aware the dog likes to be let out whenever she gets here. Um, so, Just don't let him eat the napkin. <laughs> on the one hand, um, it's pretty clear that the movie does not like take a kind eye towards Thomas Wayne. Like every time he's on camera, like exp- espousing his ideas of like, uh, you know, the city just needs to be cleaned up and y'all need to act better. Like uh, people never like that, you know, and in the, the movie literally features people like uh, reading newspapers where the giant headline is kill the rich, right. you know. So I, if, if someone wanted to say that this was like a, uh, a socialist movie, I would say that it's, it's, it's pretty obvious where they're getting that from. Um, the one like kind of counterpoint that I would make, and I, I think that ultimately I do believe whether by intent or by accident that this is uh, uh, making a lot of points about socialism that I would like made, you know, <laughs> like uh, you just, you just can't fucking abuse people this way if you're in a position of power and uh, hope for society to remain stable. Like there's, there's a breaking point. And like, if, if you, uh, if, if all new gains are accrued by just Thomas Wayne and their, and his employees, uh, you know, live in these fucking shitty tenements um, where, you know, they can't even get their uh, garbage collected, then, like uh, you know, it's 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 not going to go well. It's not a way to design a society. But uh, the the counterpoint I would make to the idea that it is socialist is uh, if I'm 
trying to uh, t- to portray people who are agitating for a, a better system. Uh, I, I don't ever call them a mob, you know, <laughs> like the way that uh, the people who are attempting to enact change, I don't even know that you would necessarily say they're attempting to enact change. The people who are breaking him out of the cop car or whatever, or, you know, uh, picking him up after the uh, ambulance hit the cop car, it just kind of seems like they're looters <laughs> and mm-hmm. that they're uh, going around causing chaos. So that that didn't, like, like as someone who, uh, you know, like, like, like if I were making a movie about what happens whenever, uh, you know, the, the lower classes are mistreated, um, I, I would make it so that the, the lower classes are just like fucking looting mobs because I, I don't think that's what, what goes on all the time, you know? Like I, th- I think that there's plenty of times that uh, people demonstrate and people march and behave themselves mostly reasonably because they, uh, they're, they're out there to make some uh, principled points, not just uh, smash windows and shoot fucking rich people coming out of movies and shit like that, you know? But this isn't set here today. Yeah. You know, it's set in a different time in pretty much an alternate reality. Yeah, but I think it's, it says a little bit about what similar. you think about those people whenever you portray them as a mob. Yeah. I mean, I, I would but, say... So that, it's not painting him as good or the opposition as good. Yeah, so like it's I... painting it all as effed up. Yeah, like I, I kind of think that... Uh, the, the perfect recipe for the rise of Joker. My ultimate suspicion is that, that Todd Phillips, like, doesn't have a lot of thoughts on the question of what's the best system of government and like what should people be agitating for. I think that he just more kind of like is standing outside of the whole thing being like all y'all look dumb, you know, um, which, which is not like a viewpoint that I really agree with, but I'm fine seeing depicted. Um, but I, I, I do also think that like, so I, I, I kind of, that's my guess as to like what his views on it are. But I think that there's also like just, you know, you can watch the movie and what what you take out of it. And it it doesn't entirely matter what what he was intending to put into it. It's just like what you take out of it. Um, And I don't know. I I, I thought that the that it did, you know, make make a lot of the points that I would try to make of of, like that this is just a it's an inequitable system. And like, you know, whenever you can have like that, that the. I would say that to me, the the life the life of Thomas Wayne and the life of uh, uh, what's uh, Arthur Fleck's mother's name? I don't even remember. Last name's Fleck. Whatever the mother, mm-hmm. um, Penny Penny Fleck. Mm-hmm. That uh, Thomas Wayne and Penny Fleck, in my eyes, have uh, equal value. You know, like they're they're both humans. They both have dignity. Like one should not be uh, weighted heavily over the other in, in a in a fair just system. But uh, you have this situation where they 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 have an affair, and he, by just you know val- by dint of the fact that he's got like a company, is able to bring immense you know uh, uh, means to bear on just burying her and you know putting her in asylum and uh, leaning on an orphanage to draw up papers, uh, showing that that she's lying uh, when in fact you know she's not. Like uh, that, that that kind of shit, you know, is just uh, um, it, it should not should not occur, and uh, we should uh, be trying to, like that's that's the problem with one side having uh, all the means and the other side not, and just you know, like uh, like uh, her her talking throughout the movie of like if he saw how we were living, like he just he wouldn't tolerate this, you know, like that, that's, that's how it should be. Like if you see someone um, living that way and you've got all these means. 
that like you know there, there shouldn't be that that large a there's no there's nothing that is in, intrinsic to people that makes one of them so much better than the other that the that difference in living conditions is like right or justifiable or moral like it's just a fucking accident that Thomas Wayne ended up with so much and Penny Fleck ended up with so little and like uh that's a fucked up circumstance um the other thing I would say is uh have you ever listened to Chapo Trap House? Are you familiar with the Chapo Trap House podcast? We mentioned on IJB from time to time. I think I have one or two that somebody either you or Jake have directed me to. Yeah. Um so they're good and I I like their stuff for the most part and uh they they did a long episode on this and uh Matt Chrisman, one of the uh hosts of the show, uh laid out a theory that I would like to try to uh restate and maybe give like uh i i might be like uh throwing in some my own interpretation here trying to understand what he was saying um but it's his point that what's really going on in most people's lives is uh like the the bad thing that's happening is like material deprivation like you're not being given as much stuff as uh you probably should um because you know the rich are stealing it for themselves and so that most of your problems are class problems. But because it's, this is a very Howard Zinn thing of like, uh, because the upper classes are aware, or maybe they're not, maybe it's all just an accident. But the fact is that most people are trying to distract you from the fact that these are class problems. Like the, the Howard Zinn thing of like, uh, you know, trying to pit the races against each other so they don't realize that all of them are poor and join together and be like, no, you got to give us more. Like, you know, you remember yeah. that? Those, oh, yeah. Those parts of the book? For sure. Um, I tend to agree with a lot of that. Yeah. And so... We're all fighting about silly stuff, not realizing we're all the same. We should be fighting against those people. And we're all bickering, but, you know, they definitely... So it's a class problem in that, you know, white women look down upon, you know, even when the gay rights people wanted to join the female rights people, you know, and they're like, oh, whoa, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, not having you, oh, black people want in on this march? No, no, you know, or or the uh, racial justice marches, then the gay people are like, yeah, I want to join, whoa, hey, we, we're all for, we don't want, I mean, we want the same water fountains, but not, we don't want you at our water fountain now. Like, yeah. so we keep, yeah. Yeah. We, we, as long as we can keep fighting and all these other things, the rich people will, uh, will love it. Yeah. And so he's saying that, uh, whenever you, you have these problems that are basically like class-based problems and, people are trying to so constantly distract you from that and say that like, uh, you know, like there's a bunch of incel talk leading up to this movie, but I don't think it's really about incel stuff at all. That, that seems like people just mostly watched a couple trailers, misunderstood them and went crazy. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, like the incel stuff, I, I would, I would say that, uh, some of that seems to me like it's that people are, upset about their class and are like taking it out on like they, they think that the problem is that like women don't respect them enough you know when when it, if in fact you uh you know like uh had a a, a good paying job that gave you a lot of benefits and everything you might feel a little more satisfied and this would be a less pressing problem but whenever it's like man 
can't pay my bills, can't get the nice car that I'm hoping for, and these fucking chicks disrespect me. Like the you, you might focus on uh, one part. Of, I, I don't know that like, I want to like uh, go to the death defending this thesis, but whatever. It's just it's an idea to throw out there, you know. Um, and and so he's saying that there's a lot of things like that going on, and that that this uh, this circumstance where people are trying to uh, you know convince him that his problems are not his problems, like that that is a situation where. Um, it feels like you're feeling in the movie where you think you're looking at something um, and then and then people are trying to tell you that it's not real. Like the, the, the things that you're, you're seeing, that people are questioning the reality of them. Um, and so like that's, that's what's going on in the movie. You know, like you, 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 in normal movies, whenever you see a character on screen, like, like him at, at a Murray Franklin's show, you can normally just take it to be like that that's actually happening in the real world. That's how most movies work. Um, but in this one, like it's, it's fucking with you. And so he's saying that that's like that you've, you've got these, uh, these class problems, but people are trying to convince you that what you're seeing is not what you're seeing, that what you're seeing is not real. And that that process, uh, makes people, you know, um, feel fucking unhinged. And that that is kind of to some extent driving, uh, what, uh, what, what the Joker is experiencing. And I don't, I don't think that I, uh, in making the argument as good as he does. And uh, I, I'm not sure that I uh, understand it as well as uh, uh, every part of what he's saying. So I, I think I'm kind of uh, butchering this a bit. But I thought it was an interesting idea and uh, didn't know if you had uh, had any similar takeaways from uh, from watching the movie. No, I didn't. That's another very deep, uh, deep dive into what this could mean. Do you think... I don't know if this is relating to what you were just saying or not. Yeah, go for it. But Either you, way. you said politically thinking about this movie. Is this movie made the exact same way if Trump was never president? Like is Thomas Wayne, he certainly feels Trumpy to me. He's a uh, businessman who's going to get into politics and he really kind of looks down upon the mob. Yeah. Uh, does think everybody's garbage, but you know, I think that there have been a lot of figures throughout history that like ran uh, or, you know, like tried to uh, grab power on a message of, um, you know, there just needs to like he, he's very law and order. Right. Like the, the Thomas Wayne's like you just need to, you know, you people need to act right. Like you need mm-hmm. to straighten up. And I, I think that that kind of like I'm a rich person here to tell you to straighten up has happened plenty of times. Uh, but Trump is definitely the most recent one. And I don't know that uh, that any of the other examples are looming large in our heads without Trump uh, having run. So I, I would say, yeah, totally. That uh, that it would be made the exact same way? No, no, that it wouldn't. Okay. That, yeah. That but certainly I, he's influencing. Yeah, I agree with you that he's, uh, he's definitely an influence on the movie. And obviously TV, you know. Yeah. Um, but I like that this is not like beating you over the fucking head with it the way a lot of Trump things are. Yeah. I can't really comment on the... That's a pretty deep... I might even like to listen to that podcast that you mentioned. That the uh, As far as the social socialist aspect of it. Or. Yeah. And um, they had a, a bit in there about... like he, he somehow made it fit in with like the fact that it is a, a comic book movie. Like that if you were like it's it's a it's a bit of a question of like if you're going to make a movie like this where you're trying to examine a, uh, a lower class person and like what drives them to insanity 
and uh, how things play out from there. That like you don't necessarily have to make it about the Joker, you know. Like you, you, you could totally make this movie outside of hey, I'm making a comic book movie. Um, and uh, he's he's got a point about like that the fact that all we're being fed these days is comic book movies. That like you can kind of uh, like play on that by making it a comic book movie you know like that that it's uh it's it's a testament to the fact that we're just being you know shoveled a lot of shit to distract us from the fact that you know they're they're robbing you blind as you're looking the other way um and uh, you know i i don't know that i'm someone who does deeply believe that that comic movie movies are a uh a vehicle for uh, distracting you from your class struggle, but like whatever, it's it's, it's possible interpretation. I mean, it's certainly uh, rich people attempting to get rich whenever they're making comic book movies. But I I think that that's more just like uh, you know trying to make entertainment that people will buy. I, I don't know that it's got a, a distracting purpose as like its uh, central intent. Well, certainly comic book movies are shit, and they're I mean that's a thought. Then they're 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 clearly not reality, right? Comic book movies yeah. are not reality, and does that lend to this whole thing is in Arthur Fleck's head anyway? There's, yeah, there is no Batman. The he's invented this whole thing. There was no cheering crowd for uh, a guy who just committed all these murders. Um, and I will say that uh, as far as the the current thing of like let's make a million comic book movies. I think mostly that I, I, I wish that people would make a wider variety of shit and like, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty bored of the Avengers and like whatever, but uh, you got to make a million to make this one. Like if, if, if they were saying starting out, hey, uh, we're going to try making one comic book movie, it would not be, why don't we center the entire thing on a villain who fights Batman uh, that tells the story of actually Batman's dad was a big dick and so he had it coming. Like that's that's a really fucking weird take on the comics. Yeah, this sets this apart. Yeah, and so I I think you got to make a thousand of them. Like you, you got to say like, all right, what's the thousandth best comic book movie idea? Or not best, but like uh, you know, it, best from the eyes of someone who's like receiving a pitch, like a studio and, exec. Like they had to f- cycle through, you know, like every Captain America movie before they were willing to green light. Uh, all right, you know, give a fucking try to your weird ass Joker movie. But but also. It's interesting that it could still be, this could still be the origin because Bruce Wayne is just, it, things are from his point of view. So from his point of view, his dad was his dad. And when you're that young, you have no idea. Oh what yeah, yeah, doing. totally. But his I point of view that, is he's yeah. killed by a, uh, by a bad person or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's going to be his point of view. Just like, you know, your point of view about your parents, maybe you learned later that they were, oh man, they were like this or. Yeah, you know when you learn your pa- your parents were bad or whatever, uh, but it, but of course if they die, they were never bad. Almost my wife, her dad died when she was like, I don't know if it was eleven or ten or twelve or something like that. She was little mm-hmm. and got cancer early on. She then later in life said, you know what? I don't think he was that great of a, like he was a wonderful guy to her, and she loved him and he was like perfect and all that. And she was the girl, but, you know, in Palm looking back, she's like, you know, I don't think he treated my brother very nice. I don't think he was nice to him at all because he wasn't like a sports guy. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know if him and my mom would have made it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But when he dies when she's 10, he's a saint and and all that stuff. And, you know, her life would have been much better had he lived. 
Yeah. In theory, she doesn't really know that, you know? Yeah. It might have been worse. It's like, yeah, he he might have come to find out that uh, Thomas Wayne's a big dick, but whenever you're five, you don't know it. So whenever he dies, you're like, fuck, man. That's uh, And he remains the the myth of Yeah. The the story the comic book story is not any different except for you now. You know? It's still the same for Batman. He's still trying to do his thing for the same reason. Yeah, I uh, I I doubt that they're gonna make like a bunch of follow ups or anything. But I, I for one would be very interested in uh, playing out the string of like what what exactly uh, does the Batman story look like if the entire time we're watching Batman, we know that like he's uh, could that only take away misunderstands. from what part of what I think is the beauty of this movie is yeah a lot of the questions like if they answered some of those questions. Would that diminish this movie to you at all? I think there's no way they make sequels, and you, you, you're probably uh, very safe that this is a, a standalone thing. And, and I, yeah, I think there's plenty of reasons why it should be. I mean, because it's fucking great. But I, just that that turning of the Batman story on its head, um, that's very interesting. And I'd be interested to explore like what else that would mean. Like once Batman's growing up, like watching a whole movie where like the kind of like a omniscient narrator of the movie like knows that Batman's kind of got it wrong and like actually like his dad was a big dick but he's uh going out and like fighting like in the batman movies there's always like uh the newspapers or whatever are always saying like you know um is he a vigilante for good or is he just a a crazy dude who uh just goes around indiscriminately killing people for what he thinks are good reasons and in the movies it's always like it's obvious that it's the first one but seeing something where someone took seriously the second option, that he's just a fucking rich psycho that goes around and shoots people who he thinks have done wrong, but he's got his own standards and they're kind of fucked up. And really, it would be better off if he just left it to the courts, dude. Uh, I, I would be interested in seeing that kind of Batman movie. Yeah, for sure. I think so. that's... Uh, Kind of running out of steam now. Most <laughs> well, you don't gotta say that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I I liked that uh, it, that it, for a comic book movie that it's not like trying to uh, tell like a ten year epic of like what's going on across the entire city. It's just it's so small in scale, you know. Like that, it's just here's a, a couple weeks in this dude's life. I always like that whenever uh, movies try to like you know bite off something that's pretty easy to chew. Yeah, and just the it's such a twist on the the. The origin story, you know? I, I got to see it again. I must see it again. Have you seen it twice or just once? No, no. I, I kind of thought about if I had a bunch of free time, I would have. Because, I mean, I saw it two or three weeks. Uh, I guess it came out two weeks ago. That's been I saw my it the only day it came out. is finding a nice two or three hour stretch to go do it again. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's faded in my two weeks in my memory. So before doing this, if I, you know. If uh, I'd not had a Trump rally to go to yesterday, maybe I would have uh, found time to uh, to go see a second show. Well, you got showing. a lot going on, man. It's a very busy life, man. You're um, actually inside the Trump rally. <laughs> indeed, I was. Yeah, I I don't the the one. Th- this is not my uh, big giant point I want to end on, but it's it's the last point I have. So I guess uh, that's how that's how it goes. Oh, the other thing is, I I do think this movie's uh, does a really good job of depicting, like whenever someone's a villain, like every other depiction of Joker, it's like he's just gleefully going around and killing people, and like fuck it, I'm the Joker, I kill people. Seeing one where he f- seems like he's definitely not guilty about the murders, but. There's a lot of uh, stress around it of just like, am I going to be caught? 
that's just such a different way of depicting comic book violence that like it's 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 always just assumed that the joker doesn't really have any consequences for killing until batman locks him up right it's not like a regular thing where if like if you murdered someone you would be walking around like fuck are they gonna find out i murdered that guy but that's never like the joker's just shooting someone running off and like who gives a fuck uh, but but in this one, it's like the, the cops are pursuing him and are like trying to put together a case being like, hey, I think he shot those guys in the subway. That's that's also a, a thing that you don't often see in uh, comic book movies. Right. And then, yeah, you wonder about the guy he killed in his apartment and stuff, too. Yeah. Obviously, that was the day he was going to be on Murray's show, right? Yeah, and like that's so, that's another one. Like you're like, boy, I I don't think he's gonna get out of this. I I think that's that he's gonna be fucking convicted for this murder of the guy that you just killed in his apartment. Like, how do you explain that away? There's someone in your apartment that you had beef with with scissors sticking out of their fucking face. Like they kind of showed after he killed Murray, they showed him in front of the camera and then they showed him getting tackled. So that's how the police caught him there. Yeah, they never you never figure out how he gets from standing on the car with his admirers cheering for him to the asylum. Yeah. And the so ambiguity of that is what allows you to think that Peter out. Did they kind of look at each other for a while after and like, all right, everybody else had a home to go to and he didn't, uh, you know, you wonder how these, how does a riot end anyway? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, that's, at some that's point, why I wonder if that part was in his head that, that, that all seemed too convenient. I mean, I'm sure they would have been staking out his house, you know, like once he kills Murray Franklin, there's probably cops in front of his door the whole time, right? Right, right. right. Uh, so that that's potentially could have been the, caught. The little midget guy is running straight to the police, right? Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not just happy he got kissed on the head. Yeah, of course. You gotta gotta go to the police at that point. I wanted to mention something else that I kind of heard something about. So that they, I think I might have heard Cash Saroy say this because I listened to their little review. Because mm-hmm. I went to the movie with Cash. Yeah. Um, and he said, like, they did the score before the filming. And often they film actors, and then later we'll get the musician and say, okay, now watch this. Now I need you to build a score. But they've made the music first. And that actually on the set, while doing scenes, they were playing music, which to me was like it made it seem like uh Arthur, right? Says yeah, name? Arthur. Uh-huh. That you know when Arthur would dance or whatever, he lived with music in his head. He lived with things in his head that he believed everybody could hear. So he's dancing to Rock and Roll Part 2. You'd be seeing a crazy guy. You know, he's hearing that in his head though. He's yeah. doing the moves to it. He's you know, when he's dancing in his apartment, when he's dancing in the bathroom uh, after killing the guys on the subway, right? When he ran away. Um, you know, he uses that to calm himself, to put himself at ease. He did it right before he went out on set. He's all like, I mean, that's that's a brilliant, it's all brilliant, you know? Yeah. He's doing it when he was practicing to go out on the set, you know? So he has his own little musical soundtrack in his head that helps him he thinks helps him stay straight. I don't know what direction he's really going in. That with, seems like a good way of making movies. Like I, I figure that the toughest part of acting is that like you just kind of stand in a room that you know isn't actually 
in the movie and there's right just silence going on and like putting yourself in like i, I there's just such a disconnect between how the 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 world is the actor is experiencing it whenever they're acting out the movie and how the audience actually sees it once you put in all the fucking you know effects and uh and music and everything and so yeah making it closer to how the audience is going to experience it by playing the music in the background that seems like a great idea to me and and rock and roll part two is pumping through his head you yeah know, that's yeah he's dancing to something what's he dancing to how does he know you know yeah we're getting to hear it too helps you sell it yeah um such a cool vi- visual to him dressed as joker dancing down the steps i guess i could steps, watch that scene a million times i think the steps have some kind of a Meaning too, because I believe he trudges up those steps, you know, in one scene where he's very beaten and he's, but then as the Joker, he's uh, dancing down them. He's. Yeah, I mean, I just think high. of it as like, what a fucking shitty hand that you got to, in order to get home, you got to go up those fucking steps. Right. It's part of the downtrodden life that he's leading. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and could, like, if Thomas Wayne lived in that apartment with his resources, like, he think that. Uh, maybe at some point they would have found a better solution than these steps, but just no one gives a shit about the people living in those apartments. So like, ah, fuck it, give them the steps. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the, the final thing I'll say is, uh, the movie is definitely trying to make a large connection between the circumstances in the city and Arthur's interior life, like uh, having the garbage strike. And having everyone always talking about, boy, things are on edge. It feels like a tinderbox out here. And I do think that the circumstances of the society you're living in dictate your personal life. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to explain this in a, a simple, straightforward way. I probably should have... Uh, Work this out a couple times before uh, saying it on a podcast, but like, you know, it is the case that the people who uh, like you, your your bosses have been taking a larger, larger share of uh, what is generated by your company over time. You know, like CEOs used to be paid like two hundred thousand dollars, and the CEO of Cumulus makes you know uh, in the millions. And where do you think those millions come from, Dan? <laughs> like, if they weren't making millions, what else would they do with that money? They would pay you more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has a large impact on your life. Like, the house you live in is determined by how much money you have. How much money you have is determined by how much the CEO is taking. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think that there is a, a connection to all these things that might not be obvious. Like, whenever I like look, look, look at my house... You know, I, I think that, like, uh, if you're just looking for the obvious things, like, it's it's tied to, you know, how, how much I work, how how many, uh, you know, degrees that I got before entering the job market. Like, you can see how your actions determine it pretty easily. I think it takes, like, a thinking through a couple steps to figure out how, you know, the people above you's actions to determine your living cir- circumstances. So I think that the circumstances of the society around Arthur do determine... Um, you know, the, the situation that he's in. Um, but I wish that the movie, and I don't even know exactly how they would do this, would make a bigger connection to that. It seems like they're just kind of like uh, throwing out, like, hey, there's a garbage strike going on. It fucking sucks. 
Um, and then, and then just like kind of taking it for granted that you'll see some big connection between that and Arthur being depressed about living with his mother. Um, but I, I, I don't know that like they draw that connection for you well enough. It just kind of seems like the bunch of shit they're throwing in the blender of like, Hey, uh, the city's a tinderbox and Hey, uh, this guy's got to live with his mother and, you know, have no friends and get fired from his job. Um, you know, but but I but I don't know that it's uh it's it's, it's illustrating connection between the two in, as much as I'd like. Isn't what they're doing? They're saying this is a unique. All of the uh, things in this stew, all of the everything in this movie. This is why I think it's not about something that's going to incite incels today, or you know, people are going to use this as their uh, you know template for them going and shooting somebody up or whatever because. This is these are all very specific to this time period. This one thing that emerged as Joker could only have been made with these elements, these so specifically odd elements, you know. We find out later that the uh, child abuse was part of it, you know. We yeah. didn't even know that happened until much later. Maybe he didn't even realize it happened. Yeah, it seems like he's that. Reading about it and then, you know, that might have contributed to why he needs meds because he was blocking things out. He, if he's chained to a radiator, he's creating his own world in his head. That's better than the world he's in right now. You know, Mm -hmm. that's so he's used to doing that. He was conditioned to do that from being young. That's why he invented that girl as his girlfriend, because that makes his conditions better. Yeah. You know, he's getting through life any way he can this dirty effing garbage filled society, you know, he's trying to make it, you know, even in, even in his mind, he has a limit, a ceiling (laughs) to, you know, I've, I've heard Jake say, you know, as a kid, he would dream of being like the, uh, the cover guy on a kickoff or something like, he wasn't even dreaming. He'd be the kick returner, you know, he's just dreaming. He could be the, uh, the gunner or something. Right. Like, like even in his wildest dreams, He's not the star of the team. He's like a, a the fifty third man. Um, so even you know he's so low that even in his dream world he's still kind of in a shitty situation. And you know, as you you were kind of saying, just even the the situation he lives in, there's probably a ceiling to where he could even go anyway. Um, so I don't know if that. It's just more deep thoughts involved with this movie that I think helps make the movie awesome. Yeah. And uh, obviously it's set in Gotham, but I, I think it's uh, clearly set in 1970s, 1980s New York City. Well, there was a literal garbage strike. Oh, yeah? In in the 1970s in New York City. I, they, uh, they took That's an actual thing. I didn't know that. Yeah. So there, there was a, I don't know how many month period, but garbage was piled up on the streets because there was a... a uh, strike for the garbage workers, sanitation workers. And uh, I just wanted to thank everyone that had to get mugged in Central Park so that we could have this uh, gritty New York uh, period because it's fucking awesome. Like, just, just watching a movie set then, like, it just looks fucking really cool. Uh, and, you know, like, like current New York, like, I, I just don't think it's like that at all, you know? Like, uh, they've, they haven't done such a poor job with their crime problem <laughs> that uh, it's actually like this. Whereas, you know, I, I don't know. It's just the, the motif of gritty New York is really fucking cool. And we wouldn't have been able to get it unless uh, all those people had gotten mugged, Dan. 
Right, unless it actually did exist at some point. They made a glorious sacrifice for our entertainment. Yeah, I wonder how, I'm sure there's some podcast telling us how they changed that. I'm sure it has to do with taking away some of your civil liberties to uh, to do it. But. Oh, yeah, yeah, stop and frisk, yeah. Yeah, stuff like uh, that. And, and it's it's odd to, uh, you know, in, in our, our current day, but I... I don't agree necessarily with uh, the narrative, but I, I believe that the the narrative is that uh, it's Giuliani. Like that's why people loved him is because it was perceived that he cleaned it up. I thought they only loved him because uh, he was the guy there at, during nine eleven. I mean, I think that the the cred that he was able to accrue, like that's definitely part of it. But uh, you know, I mean, he he was beloved by you know, uh, middle and upper class white New Yorkers uh, well before that. Because, I mean, like, uh, one of his big things was uh, the subways. Like, that he just would not allow graffiti on the subways. And uh, that was, like, that. that's that's part of his whole philosophy of, like, broken windows policing. Of, like, that if, if you live in a place that, like, the, you, would, you would think that, uh, you know, as far as we've got a window broken or we've got a murder... Why don't we take care of the fucking murder and uh, all that other shit can wait till later? His thing is that, and again, I, I think that this can be a little misguided or whatever. Uh, I, I certainly don't generally have the same views as Rudy Giuliani, but his theory is that uh, if you're living in a place with all these broken windows around that just looks like a shithole, then you're going to kind of uh, adapt to that. You know that that's that's the circumstances you you feel like. You know, that you're just kind of like going to be influenced by that to lead that sort of life, and so that when you got every single subway car is nothing but graffiti, and they're all fucking smell terrible and everything else, that 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 is not like a background problem. That once we solve the first hundred important problems, eventually we'll get to that. That everything else will kind of flow from there. That if you're on a clean subway car, that you're going to feel like it's not a place for crime, and you're not going to commit crimes. And I think that it's some just like uh, getting serious about the resources, you know, like like it, people will often talk about like intractable problems, like uh, the, the Dallas mayor, uh, Mike Rawlings, the previous Dallas mayor would often say, like I, he, he had a quote of like, uh, you know, something along the lines of like, boy, I'd do anything to uh, clean up this homeless problem. And I'm like, clearly that's not the case, you know, like you're not taking them into your house. Uh, you're not like, uh, paying your personal fortune to, to build homes for them. Um, that's what doing anything is. And so Giuliani was just, you know, willing to put the resources of like, he was willing to spend a lot of city money. Like you, people always treated the subway graffiti problem as like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's bad, but what are you going to do about it? What you're going to do about it is every single time you see a car with any graffiti, you're going to take it immediately out of circulation and have a large, you know, like a uh, workforce to make sure that we can scrub this down, clean it up and get it back out there. And so he just put money into it. That was another thing in the movie of just, I, I did appreciate that they drew a direct connection between uh, this guy, like the city being like uh, mental health services. We don't got money for that. Mm-hmm. And then him, you know, that's not being able to have his meds. Statement, right? Yeah, yeah. That that's the most directly political thing in the whole movie is that, that we're they taking the funding away for that. Because yeah, that they show whenever we just yeah we're not willing to pay money to get, have these social workers work. Then he's not able to get his med. Like it disrupts how he gets his meds. And I mean, even whenever he uh, uh, kills the guy who gave him the gun, like he even says, then like I'm off my meds. You know. 
Um, so it's it's trying to show you that we've we've attempted to build a system where we take care of people who have these problems. And we're we're trying to be compassionate towards them, but then whenever an administrator comes in and says, you know, like I don't really see the point of all this compassion for them. Can't they just fucking figure out their own problems? Like I I pulled up myself up by my bootstraps, so I didn't need a bunch of fucking meds and social workers babying me. Just tell them to you know get a kick in the ass and get on with living. Like that. That's this is how that plays up on plays out on the uh, granular level of someone's individual life is they don't know where to get their meds from. Like the, they don't get the money for it. So yeah. Are you, have you read the new Malcolm Gladwell book? I have not. Okay. Is it good? Yeah. I don't think it's as good as some of the others, but I definitely think you'd want to read it. Okay. Some of that stop and frisk stuff. He talks about the studies that, that got them doing that initially. Oh yeah. And that they are not doing it correct to the studies now. Yeah. That, it started with a very focused, they found, you know, that 50% of the crime, I can't remember if it was Minneapolis or which city it was, but 50, you know, did a study, 50% of the crime was occurring in a uh, 0.75 square block or square mile area. Yeah. And so in that area, they, they also found if they would go to a prostitution corner or something and shut it down, they wouldn't move elsewhere. Like they were somehow it was like, which is very counterintuitive, right? You would think, well, the crime will just move to a different neighborhood. It People didn't. want to buy drugs, they'll buy drugs, but that is not how it plays out. Right. So they would go to this 0.75 square mile area and they would do things that you would probably consider to be wild, widely, you know, not yeah. keeping with your civil liberties or whatever. They would stop. They would, you know, if there was any tiniest, the headlights out, they, they stop you. You didn't use a blinker. They stopped like they and the crime went down tremendously, but they did it in this very focused area. They found, first of all, the area, the the most crime, 50 percent of all the crime is in this one little area. So they that's the way they policed it. And crime went down tremendously over the whole city. Yeah. Well, people took that study and mis and misappropriated it, I guess. Would you say misinterpreted it? And. They used it across the board, and I guess that's why he did a roundabout way to get back to, I think it was Sandra Bland mm-hmm. was the person who was stopped and uh, ended up killing herself in a Fort Worth jail. Yeah, uh, I think it was Houston area, but I could be wrong. Okay, uh, Texas for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who was stopped for uh, not signaling uh, in changing lanes. Mm-hmm. Well, this cop was coming up on her very fast, so she got out of the way. So he pulled her over. <laughs> and then then it was, you know, what are you here for doing all this? And she answered like Jake. Well, and, you know, eventually it just escalated to she's like, you can't. She's black. He's white. You know, she lit a cigarette because she was nervous. He demanded she put it out. She's like, you can't make me put out a cigarette. I'm sitting in my car. Yeah. You're you going to talk like that to me? Get out of the car. I don't need to get out of the car. I haven't done anything. You want me to yank you out of that car? You're going to have to yank me out of the car. So he starts yanking. You know what I mean? Like it escalated beyond belief. But the point was, and I guess he pointed to like a city in North Carolina that has, or whatever, has upped since this study came out. They, instead of, uh, you know, 10,000 traffic stops a year, it's now up to 400,000. You know, like they took this to the nth degree and, and did it across the whole city. 
and that that's not working. That's yeah. not pulling over anyone for a uh, a no registration or a, a blinker or whatever, and just going for hoping I'll find crime. That's not the way it was intended. It was it's inefficient. It's too much like friction with the community. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it it has created a distrust of uh, police. It has created a you know a thing where you're always assuming the worst about people instead of doing it. And this is not about the uh, the Joker movie at all. Now is it? That's okay. But a little uh, extra. Yeah, read the. I should have brought it for you. The Malcolm Gladwell book. Don't all remember right, what man. it's called. Talking to strangers. I think it's called. Okay. Sounds right. So I appreciate A you taking plus, the time. Right? Yeah. Top we, notch movie. Do we give it that? A plus? I will definitely watch it again. Because now I'm an old person, so I watch all this like if I have a movie I like, I just watch it five times rather than going out and seeing new things, and I'm definitely gonna do that with this. But you actually saw it new. I did. I see movies, new movies every once young. in a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two weeks ago. Uh-huh. All right, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Do we play Dale at the end of this? No, we just kinda peter out. Okay, well, remember to record like 30 seconds extra so it doesn't cut off 30 seconds before. I will try to do that. Thank you. All right.